Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that every burden, Father, would ultimately be lifted up and every weight on our shoulders will be removed, that every tear will be washed away. Father, that one day the earth will be renewed. Father, we pray for our pastor. Thank you for Pastor Chris and Yodi. Father, we pray for them this weekend specifically as they comfort one another and all those who have lost a spiritual giant in their lives, someone who had pointed them to Jesus. And so, Father, be with them, comfort them. Thank you for their leadership among us. Thank you for the chance we have to come together week after week as a community of faith, as a spiritual family, to say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and we want to see his name declared throughout the world. So even now, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear all that you have for us this day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So glad to be with you this morning and excited about this new series that we are beginning today. I'll start this way. This past year, I was sent more YouTube videos than any other year before, and it wasn't even close. Family, friends, people within our church saying, watch this. What do you think? What's your opinion? Nearly all of them are people offering their interpretation of what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen, in their opinion, in the future. Many of the videos, of course, are filled with various perspectives and worldviews, trying to make sense of the political scene, trying to make sense of the pandemic, the social issues, the other major events in the world, and how all of it relates to Christianity and the scriptures themselves. And I get it because we are living in unprecedented times. And I looked it up. Unprecedented makes every list for one of the most overused words of 2020. It's like we hear it all the time. These are unprecedented times. Unprecedented, unprecedented, over and over. And so do we need any further evidence of just how unprecedented things really have become? Well, to start on the lighter side this morning, breaking news, say breaking news, breaking news. We got some news last week, more evidence. In what universe did we ever think we would see a county prosecutor from West Texas who has practiced law for nearly 40 years on a Zoom call with a cat filter? How many of you have seen this video? For the rest of you, you can thank me later. Just watch it after service. Let's focus on the Word of God now. But it is so funny. I watched it with my eight-year-old over and over. And because it's February of 2021, he has to do a hearing over Zoom. So he borrows his assistant's computer. And she had a daughter who was messing around with the camera filters. And voila, boom, here's Rod Ponton shows up as a talking, fluffy cat. And instantly becomes an internet sensation. So while they're trying to figure it out, how to turn off the filter, lawyer Rod actually says to the judge in the video, he says, I'm prepared to move forward with the hearing. I'm here live. I'm not a cat. As though he needed to defend the fact that he was in fact a human being behind this filter. 
And the craziest part of the whole thing was that nobody else in the video seems all that surprised by any of it. It's like, yeah, one guy looks like he's sleeping. The judge is trying to help him figure it out. But, you know, it's just another day in the life. A lawyer with a cat filter on a Zoom meeting trying to do law. Yeah, it, it, you know, that's 2021. Unprecedented times. In what kind of world has all of this become normal? <laughs> in this world, right now that we live in, it's no wonder people are asking, are we living in the end times? People want to know when the end is coming. And even though Jesus has already said to us, not even I know the day or the hour. Now, I know all of you are deeply immersed in the word of God, but maybe you also choose to sometimes dig up answers through things like YouTube and Facebook and other means. And maybe you've even heard, I heard the statistics this past week from a pastor that the average Christian millennial consumes something around 3,000 hours of content every year, only 150 of which are Christian at all. With so much misinformation available, we thought it would be wise and relevant to do a series on what Jesus had to say about the end times. So with that in mind, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 24. I really hope you brought them today. I hope you have a pen ready to take some notes as we study this incredible text. And as you hear what God's word preached to you, this is so pivotal that we understand what it is that Jesus is saying here. And I would ask as we come to this chapter, it's one of the most difficult chapters of interpretation that we have in the Gospels. There's a lot of opinion. So please, let's be gracious with one another as I share with you what my study has brought me to and what God has laid upon my heart for our church family in this particular section called the Olivet Discourse. Now, over the next seven weeks, we're going to look to Jesus to help us answer the question, what now? How do we live today in light of the future? And I think it's, a very, it's very good for us to look at some of what Scripture says about the future. Because Christians do not live for the present. We live for the future. Specifically, we live for the future return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that we're not living in the ultimate but what's called the penultimate chapter in this world drama. The ultimate, the last chapter, is the longest because it's eternity, and it's the best because no evil will exist there. So make no mistake, we're very much interested and invested in future events. The problem is not with, with the fact that we're future-oriented. The problem is that we are bad interpreters of present events and even worse forecasters of future things to come. So yes, we believe that God will remake the earth at the return of Christ. But our instincts, our intuitions, our premonitions about these things can very quickly and very easily go in the wrong direction, which is why the scripture is such a gift. Scripture is our true north. So where does Jesus start in this dialogue? Where does he start in this discourse? He starts by saying, Something pretty difficult to hear, which much of this text is. He says, there will be a great destruction. So look at verse 1. He begins by saying, Jesus left the temple and was going away. When his disciples came to, the point, uh, came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he, Jesus, answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, the Gospel of Matthew is structured around five 
major discourses or sermons or teachings of Jesus Christ. This is the last one. And here, Jesus is in Jerusalem, two days before the Passover, two days before he will be crucified. His week had already been filled with intentionally explosive exchanges with the Jewish leaders who had rejected him. Jesus, let me just remind us, had staged his entrance into Jerusalem. People were cheering and celebrating and chanting, Hosanna, which means praise to the son of David. Hosanna, praise in the highest. And of course, the religious leaders had rejected him as the son of David. This was unprecedented times. Then Jesus goes into the temple, and though your Bible probably calls this section of Scripture the cleansing of the temple, it's more accurate to call it the cursing of the temple. There was no cleansing of the temple. The days of the temple's purposes, they were over. Jesus says, you've made it a den of robbers, unprecedented. The temple wasn't the house of God anymore because God in flesh was standing right there, but they didn't recognize him. Then Jesus leaves the temple, and there's this odd part of Scripture where he walks past a fig tree that looks healthy, but it's not bearing any fruit. So he curses the fig tree, and right immediately then, it withers and dies. All of this to point out that the temple is like this fig tree. It had failed to produce the fruit it was meant to produce when the Lord came looking for it. Then Jesus tells the Jewish leaders a bunch of stories. We call them parables that expose their empty faith in him as the Messiah. And then he follows that up with preaching a series of seven woes against the scribes and Pharisees because of their failure to honor God and shepherd God's people. Now, after all of this, we have Matthew 24, 1, where Matthew says Jesus left the temple and was going away. Matthew is saying more here than it seems. He's saying Jesus will not return. He's not talking about his second coming. He's talking about in the immediate future, there is is no returning of Jesus to this temple. It's over. God's blessing has left the temple. Listen to the words of chapter 23 leading right into this text this morning. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus pronounces God's judgment on the temple with tears in his eyes. You were loved, he says. You were protected. You would have been cared for. But your eyes were blinded and your hearts grew cold. The temple was magnificent, magnificent on a spiritual level. It was the place of sacrifice. It was where God met with man. It was the place where God had put his name. The temple was also magnificent on a physical level. Mark and Luke tell us what the disciples saw or what they said when they saw it. They said, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Isn't it glorious? You can imagine their shock when Jesus says, you see all those stones? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. The whole thing, he says, will crumble. Looking back from our perspective, it all makes sense. 
The temple had become useless because the Son of God was standing right there. Jesus was ushering in the new covenant, a new way of relating to God, to access God. And it wasn't stuck within the confines of a building. That building and all those sacrifices pointed directly to him. And the temple of Jesus' body was destroyed, of course, and raised in three days. And when he died, that curtain of the temple was torn in two, meaning we have direct access to God through Jesus. Everyone's invited through faith. When he rose again, the sting of death was destroyed. We have access to life through Jesus. Everyone's invited into eternal life through him. And the craziest part of this story, because it is historical narrative, this story, is that it all came true. None of this was science fiction. This isn't a Star Wars episode. Like, this came true. Jerusalem's mighty temple was destroyed just a few decades later in AD 70, never to be rebuilt. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, your house is left to you desolate. Go there today. I've had the privilege of going there twice. The temple's gone. The temple's gone. The Holy of Holies, gone. The inner courts, it's, it's gone. All you see is an Islamic shrine with a giant hole in the ground and a rock. That's all that's left. The Apostle John gives us the vision of the new Jerusalem at the renewal of all things when he has this vision of the future in Revelation chapter 21, verse 22, and he says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. And what this means is that through the Lamb, through Jesus Christ, you have direct access to God, the creator and king of all things, right now, right where you sit. You don't have to travel for it. You don't need to get a visa for it. You can walk right into his presence. You don't have to pay for access. It's already been paid for. You don't have to get a negative test before you're allowed entry. He receives you as you are. You don't have to go see him at the temple. You have become his temple. His spirit has taken up residence within you, and he sees you and says, what a wonderful building you are becoming in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit indwelling the saints, building up the church of God, the building of God of which Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He says you're part of the building. And it's not this place, it's, it's you. These are unprecedented times. Indeed, they are times of salvation. That's the That's the age he ushered in, times where God is building his house. 2,000-year-old news of the gospel might not exactly be breaking news, but it's still the only news that leads to lasting breakthrough and a lasting building. Are you part of that building through faith in Christ? Now Jesus moves to some more difficult news. He says not only is there a great destruction, there's a great deception. Look at verse 3. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So Jesus has left the temple and is sitting on the Mount of Olives. He went down through a valley, climbed up the mount on the other side. That's why this is called the Olivet Discourse. He's there with his disciples. And the disciples do what they were so good at doing, being confused and asking for clarification. 
Now, this is very important, his answer here, because if we don't understand this part, you won't understand the rest of it. Jesus says the whole temple complex, all of these giant buildings, they're all coming down. So they ask him, when? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Here's what we need to see. The disciples tied the destruction of the temple, Jesus' return, and the end of the age. They tied them all together. That's not something that Jesus did. That's something that they did. Jesus spends the rest of this chapter helping them understand that those three things, the destruction of the temple, the return of Christ, and the end of the age, although there are similarities, they're not all happening necessarily at the same time. So he says in verse 4, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. They will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Underline verse 8. It's so important that we see this. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. The beginning of birth pains. The first thing he says here, see that no one leads you astray. It's amazing to me how many Christians buy into all kinds of conspiracies and so-called prophets who claim to know how future events will unfold and when the end of the age is coming. One thing's for certain when I watch so many of these videos They're not paying very close attention to their Bibles. The the disciples want to know about these future things, so Jesus tells them, false messiahs will come. You will hear wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many places. And you can see the disciples going, so that's when the end is coming? When those things come, is that when the end is coming? But Jesus says, no. You will see these things, but the end is not yet. These are just what he's saying, specifically, literally right here. These are just the beginning of birth pains. Now, in Jewish understanding, there were two ages, the present evil age and the age to come when God would restore all things to shalom or all pervasive peace. And when they talked about these two ages, what they did not see coming was that the Messiah would launch the new age, this new age of shalom under God's sovereignty, that God would launch that through the Messiah in the midst of the present evil age. They thought it was going to be one full stop, then another. And so when this When this history unveils itself and they understand that the Messiah is coming and launching his kingdom in the middle of the present age, they were confused. And Jesus says to them, no, the kingdom of God, see, it's a seed that will be planted and it will begin to grow within this present evil age. So there's overlap in the ages. That's the point. That's where we are. That's where we live. We live at the in-between the in-between of the evil age and the redemptive age that is to come ultimately where all things are reconciled through Jesus Christ, that age of shalom. It's hard to be in the in-between. It's hard to live there. It's hard to be in between jobs and relationships and seasons, done with one thing, but not really into the new thing. I've got two uh, kids kind of in those tween years, those in-between years, those tween years, and Man, it's rough. 
Like, it's rough for them. No longer a child, not yet a man, definitely not yet a man. No longer a child, definitely not yet a woman. The thing is, we are all spiritual tweenagers. It does not matter how long you have followed Jesus Christ, we are still growing, we are still maturing, we are in between. The kingdom of God is growing within us, even while the kingdom of man is all around us. The question for each of us is which kingdom is our focus? The one within us? Or the one around us. The problem is that so many Christians are confusing the two. Friends, be gracious with me here, but it is not about American Christianity, just like it wasn't about Jerusalem Christianity. Because Christianity is not built on a place, it's built on a person. So we care about the future of our nation. So did Jesus. That's why he wept over the city. He wept over the city because he was so filled with sorrow for their lack of faith. We ought to do the same. We hope and pray for spiritual revival within our nation. We try to take the gospel to our neighbors, to our networks for the sake of Christ and his name. But our kingdom of God hopes should never be tied to nationalistic hopes. They're different kingdoms. They're different kingdoms. That was the mistake the disciples made. They made the same mistake, and that's why Jesus is correcting it here. He's saying to them and to us, don't be deceived by these non-signs. You're going to see all kinds of disorder and violence and famines and earthquakes, but don't be alarmed. The end is not yet. These are all things that are called non-signs. That's why we say this message is called not-so-breaking news. It's not so unprecedented. It's maybe not exactly what we think. And then finally, Jesus makes a great declaration. Look at verse 9. He says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. It's hard to hear his words. Jesus talked about all the unrest in the world, and now he talks about how all that unrest and brokenness will impact his followers. He says, tribulation awaits. And that word, for many of you, it might bring up a lot of scary thoughts or associations in your head. But the word in Greek, it simply means trial or affliction. It's not a happy word, but we don't have to have nightmares about the word either. He says some really tough things, a matter-of-factly here. Christians will suffer. Christians will die. They will be persecuted because of his name. And when things get hard, it says many, he says, will fall away. That means they will leave the faith. How will they fall away? Verse 11, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. How will they betray and hate one another? Verse 12, because lawlessness will be increased and the love of many will grow cold. So let's be honest, this all sounds terrible. (laughs) It sounds horrible. But there's a purpose embedded here. There's something else going on here because the suffering Christian experience, the delay in Jesus' return before he ushers in this new age is so that the gospel would go to the nations. 
exactly what we just heard in the video. That's why we have these global partners like Bijou. Because we believe in this. Verse 13, it says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And his gospel, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. We get so wrapped up trying to figure out the end of the world that we forget that we pretty much know when the end of the world will come. (laughs) The end of my world is coming in, by God's grace, maybe around 40 years from now. If I'm blessed, maybe a few more. It could come tomorrow. I don't know if this age will be around, this this big spiritual age will be around for another 1,000 or 2,000 or 3,000 years But I do know that the end for me will come somewhere between one day and probably around like 50 days at the most. It's a pretty small window. For some of you here, it's smaller. (laughs) And for some of you, it's much bigger. A little bit bigger anyways. But here's what Jesus is saying matters most. Whether it's one day or it's 50 years, he says, endure until the end. When you take your last breath, be sure your love for me and my family has not grown cold. In other words, while you have life, live for Christ. And when we live for Christ, the gospel goes out to the nations. And that's the whole point, that the gospel will be proclaimed throughout the world. So here's the thing. Until the end of life, I must be faithful. And I can rest assured in my salvation Because the Spirit is given to me as a guarantee. And because God says to me, I will carry on my work in you unto completion until I bring you face to face. So we stand assured and we stand faithful. Until the end of the age, the church must remain faithful. This is why Charles Spurgeon said, I actually had it given to me as a gift and I love it. It's hanging on in my my wall in my office He says this, it is the whole business of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. Do you want to know when the end is going to come? When our business is done. That's when it comes. Until that time, Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not hesitate. Be filled with courage. You want to know when it comes? Don't chase after all these conspiracy theories here and there and everywhere. It will come when our business is done. When we take the gospel to the nations themselves. So what now? What do we do? What do we do with Jesus' teaching? A few things. He says, don't be deceived. All the breaking news, it's a non-sign. It's always been around. Don't allow your heart to be so moved by every video or theory that makes its way into your feet. Don't be alarmed. People leave the faith. People fall away. People you thought were committed end up not being committed. Only God can see the heart. Listen, friends, your faith does not rest on someone else's perseverance. It rests on the continued work of Christ in you and on his completed work for you. And so you can rest assured again that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion. So do not allow a mere human to rattle the conviction you have in the Son of God and what he is doing in you. Jesus said that there will be many false teachers. Many will fall away. 
Many, many, many famines, many fears. These are non-signs, just the beginnings of growth, of birth. Don't be alarmed. These times are not as unprecedented as they seem. This is what we shouldn't do, but what should we do? We must endure, remain faithful. Endurance requires a radical recommitment to the word of God and to the ways of Jesus. That's what we need, a radical recommitment to the word of God and the ways of Jesus. Giving God 150 of our 3,000 hours is not going to cut it. Checking out your verse of the day for 15 seconds on an app, it won't work. Being in community when it fits and it's convenient, that doesn't work. Coming to church every three weeks and occasionally checking out a podcast, it won't work. One of my heroes is the German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He also lived in what they called unprecedented times, World War II. He was martyred for his role in a failed assassination plot against Adolf Hitler when he was 39 years old. Two weeks later, that very prison camp was freed. Three weeks later, Adolf Hitler committed suicide. The war was over. He missed his freedom by two weeks. He was engaged at the time. This is what he said. He said, the religion of Christ is not a tidbit after one's bread. On the contrary, it is the bread or it is nothing. People should at least understand and concede this if they call themselves Christian. The point is Christ is either everything to you or he's nothing to you, but you must realize he can never be a small something to you. He's your everything or he's your nothing. So what do we do? What do we do with a difficult text in difficult days? We endure. Brother, endure. Sister, endure. God is your prize. And he will not disappoint. He will not disappoint you. He never has. He never will. So when we look to the future, we know that our future is held secure in our Father's hand, that not a single one of his sheep will be lost. So what do we have to worry about? What do you have to worry about? You can cast it upon him. Every burden lifted up. Every trophy laid down. The victory's already been done. It's already yours. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Father, there are many in our day that say, look here, look there. Look at this, look at that. Father, help us not to get distracted. Help us have, to have eyes that are focused on Christ, that we would neither look to the right nor to the left, but we would simply look straight, straight ahead into the eyes of our Savior and see our work at hand. You've called us to preach good news, to preach repentance and belief, and I pray for every soul here that if there be any who have not chosen Christ, that they would see him as the Lamb only through him the Lamb of God, the Son of David, the Messiah, Savior, and Lord, do we have access to you right here, right now. We don't have to travel anywhere. And we're brought into your family through faith. 
And Father, as you continue building that beautiful structure called your church, your family, on which is set, it's set upon that foundation of Christ, our cornerstone. Father, help us to endure. Help us not to doubt our salvation, Father. We know that we are yours in Christ through faith, but help us to stand secure, knowing that when we see these things around us, it's just the beginnings of growing pains. We don't know the day, but we know our purpose. So help us to live for that purpose. Help us to live for Christ, to leave this place on mission for your name's sake, for the sake of your glory. Use us, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.